Live from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio, CAB Incorporated presents Celebrating Powerhouse Women. Now, here's your host, Amanda Pierch. Good morning and welcome back to another exciting episode of Celebrating Powerhouse Women, the series that salutes and recognizes women who are making an impact in our community. Today is a very special day as we are headed into the holiday season. I am thrilled to welcome Pat Royak here on the show today. Good morning, Pat. Good morning. Delighted to be here. Thanks for having me on this chilly morning. It is. It's so cold (laughs) out there. Yes. Well, um, for our listeners out there that might not know Pat from social media or any of the wonderful things that she does, um, she is the CEO of Royak Consulting, and I will allow her to give us a little bit of information um, about what she does with Royak. Please. Thank you. You're Um, welcome. Well, I've globetrotted around the globe, and our consulting firm really helps businesses take a look at their platform um, from an omni-channel perspective. Uh, a lot of, particularly during the pandemic, retailers pivoted to sell products online. You've got to pay close attention to your brand's story and your strategy ensuring that your business model and how you show up, whether it's an Instagram where a consumer's purchasing or looking at what your products look like online it's really important that it's cohesive authentic and really represents who you are and what the consumers are looking for so it's been exciting uh, and very interesting during the pandemic i'm sure and you use that word omni-channel and actually i underlined it here obviously being familiar with the um the prefix and the suffix elaborate what what you mean specifically by omni-channel strategies they're being fed from multiple different directions Yeah, no, excellent question. Basically, the consumer needs to have a seamless experience. So if you buy a product, you might research it online. Then you'll go into the store. Well, you're going to expect to see the brand, uh, the business, and the product categories that are very familiar to what you saw online. Otherwise, you might think you're in the wrong store. So a lot of stores and businesses started as retailers. And then to have that personality show up online, so you know who they are, a consistent logo, um, the culture of the company, the service that's being offered, uh, the expectation around price and quality and selection. Um, And you can't look different. For example, a lot of people want to pick up the phone nowadays, particularly during the pandemic, and hear a real voice. Mm -hmm. Well, your customer service uh, needs to be responsive to that and, and aware of the products that are in the store and the products online so that they can pivot from one place to another. You might research online, have your mobile device, and Mm -hmm. check it out as you're headed in, checking prices competitively, and then you ultimately end up purchasing it, maybe on Instagram after you chatted with your friends or family about, hey, what do you think about this? Uh How does it look? Okay, I'll buy it. You know, young people today, they take pictures of themselves in the dressing room. Post it. Post it, (laughs) send it to their friends. What do you think? So it's created um, a complexity because a lot of computer systems and foundations of companies were built with retail in mind and now to be able to operate on lots of different devices Mm -hmm. and show up exactly the same um, it's really important to ensure you're competitive and you're giving you're really delighting the consumers whose needs and desires are constantly changing and making sure like you said that that message is aligned so there's no confusion with the consumer having to go from the brick and mortar and translate that to um, maybe their device or something That's exactly like that. right. Very cool. Thank you, Pat, for elaborating. And now that you said that, I kind of feel silly because it makes total sense. I was thinking of something totally different. 
Um, I apologize. I was so excited to get into our conversation. I failed to recognize our presenting sponsor for this series, and it would not be possible without Terry Jondal and CAB Incorporated. And since 1982, CAB Incorporated has been a distinguished leader in manufacturing and global sourcing, serving a variety of industries, including infrastructure, hydraulics, automotive, and rail with their precision machined iron and steel products. As a woman-owned company, CAB is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the Celebrating Powerhouse Women series. Um, Terry is actually a dear friend of Lisa, and Lisa is who connected us. One of my favorite things about this show is just the network of powerhouse women that I get to meet and to see it grow as each guest comes on. So we did want to give a shout out to Terry and Lisa because they too have sat in that powerhouse seat where you are today. Let's kind of take it back. We'll hop in our DeLorean, as I like to say, Pat, and let's take it back to Washington where everything started. And I'll let you kind of lead from there. Yes, I was born and raised in Washington, D.C. I meet people and they're like, wow, you're a real Washingtonian. Can I touch you? There aren't many of us. But yes, um, grew up in an Italian-Irish household. Mm-hmm. Um, brothers and sisters my father um, was an insurance salesman so he was always dressed to the nines going out and always coming home for dinner and then back out uh, to see his clients in the evening and my grandmother was in retail and her father was a tailor so it kind of started the whole passion that I had for the fashion industry with a fashion show in my basement I think at the ripe old age of 10 (laughs) which is kind of funny Um, but and then worked retail through high school and ended up um, with great mentors and people from Levi Strauss coming into the retail store where I worked. And long story short, ended up um, working for Levi's for the first several decades of my career, which was pretty amazing. And I uh, remember my favorite pair of Levi's. Oh, you do? Which one? I wore them until they had, were they 512s? Was that that the number? 512. And I wore them until they had little holes where the pockets were in the rear end. You know, my mom had to say, no more, lady, you can't wear those. But Levi's, they just fit like a glove. Everybody had Levi's when I was in school. Well, that's so ironic that you said 512 because that's one of the products that I actually worked on. What? And we didn't even talk about this. Oh, my goodness. Unless you remember it from my CV. That's It's totally ironic. So 512 was started when I was a sales manager in New York, and my Long Island sales reps were saying was during that hip-hop era mm-hmm. we need something a skinny jean yep. and you were probably were very trim <laughs> I can imagine and back in that, the day back in the day and uh yeah I'll never forget bleached jeans yep. skinny mm-hmm. we those you know, whitewash look exactly mm. and that's you know the a C with a cal- uh, collaborative with a capital C I think it's the first time I learned that by speaking up even as a young woman and a young leader in a company and listening to my team and them listening to their customers that there was a need that was kind of a, a counterintuitive and a zig and zag from where the market was going right but we built a great business because there were a lot of Hispanics and Asians moving into New York City and their body bills were just smaller people in general so for a lot of reasons it became a a great product for the company at the time and a staple in pretty much everyone's closet those jeans lasted forever yes I don't know yeah I mean they lasted forever they don't make jeans these days anymore you go an old navy and it's that weird stretchy material and it it doesn't withstand years um I I would be remiss if we didn't inform our listeners because we kind of leapt forward into your success within the fashion industry. Close that gap really quickly and just um, tell everybody out there what a profound impact you've had in the world of fashion and kind of give a little bit of tidbits on some of the things that you've had a hand in creating and um, 
have launched into success. So transitioning, um, one of the exciting things I did was I, I led a business in New Zealand as a general manager, uh, first time to really lead manufacturing. And I think that's where you started, obviously, with, with Lisa and mm -hmm. our sponsor's voice. I think when you really understand how product gets made um, and have to fill a factory and also lead the sales and marketing and create the culture of the company, it's an amazing experience and having a, a team in New Zealand that really enabled me to, for the first time, lead all the different functions. Mm -hmm. And we basically were number one in the world, which is crazy. Wow. New Zealand's the bottom of the world, but we had the highest brand share. And the team was quite innovative. And Levi's used it as a little incubator to uh, test new um, programs and products and even infrastructure systems. So it was fabulous. And that led me to Asia later to lead a supply chain project for Levi's. And I think that's when I really learned about culture and diversity and how there are different people and different opinions uh, and different ways of working. They're introverts and they're extroverts mm -hmm. and some people are great at technologies, others are really great at product. And we reinvented the supply chain kind of with the end in mind working back where backwards and um, narrowed the supply chain so that we created $10 million in savings. At the time, everything had been decentralized, so we centralized it, right. we pulled it together. And then later, um, kind of looked at the brand itself and the brand story and needed to update and modernize it as consumers were starting to buy lots of different products. This and is still with Levi's, This correct? is still with okay. Levi's and this still is in Asia. And then from there, I uh, ended up joining Liz Claiborne yes. with totally different experience, portfolio of brands, um, and worked for amazing people like Angela Arendt and... Paul Sharon, who really had a strategy of building, buying it, and renting brands. Hmm. So uh, understanding the culture of Lucky Brand when we bought them or a Juicy Couture mm -hmm. and then licensed Donna Karen business, I learned how to build teams and position products in different markets mm -hmm. for different consumers. Um, not all brands <laughs> are made the same. Right. The other thing I learned is about portfolio strategy. You know, in different markets, some products are gonna do really well. We're gonna be in a, uh, we're in a casual marketplace mm -hmm. now where everybody wants casual, but soon people are gonna be stepping out, going back to work. Um, we've talked about women in the workplace, mm -hmm. 20% of them have left the workplace. They're right. going to have to go back and get new outfits. Yep. Um, and those are the things I learned at Liz Claiborne. And then later ended up getting, joining Maidenform mm -hmm. in the Intimates business, kind of back in New York, um, and had an opportunity to build that business with Maidenform and Donna Karen around the globe. Uh, spent a lot of time in Ireland. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we that's had our, our business there. Um, and um, after that, ended up, that's how I got, ended up uh, in Georgia, was with Morena Group. Mm -hmm. Morena Group makes medical grade compression. So I sort of went from underwear to uh, medical underwear, if you will. And a company, private equity, um, uh, identified me, uh, part of my consulting firm at the time that had that had grown throughout mm -hmm. the years. I've sometimes called myself the accidental consultant because I've <laughs> done it in between my right. corporate roles, which has been a lot of fun because that way you're very authentic and really part of their company. So it's, a, it's a more of a boutique agency is what I have mm -hmm. and immersing myself into the team. Um, and then that's how I got here in Georgia and met wonderful people like Lisa. Lisa and the Next Generation Manufacturing Group. And, yes. and having mentors who are friends uh, who can really help you get to know uh, the local 
politics, mm -hmm. the organizations to join. I joined one called Kettering, which is fabulous. Um, and they have been wonderful to host all kinds of events uh, in partnership with people like the Chamber of Commerce and learn about international business. Georgia mm -hmm. does business with the world, yes. and particularly key partners like Mexico, where I spent mm -hmm. a lot of my career and time you know, building businesses there as well as Asia and Europe. Wow. That was woo, so much. Sorry, so oh, much. Oh, no. So I'm just, I'm so excited. And I have so many questions that I want to ask you. Um, but being respectful of how much time we have, I do want to mention one thing because I read it. And it's about the maiden form that I think the material that you used was something that was similar to a cyclist shorts or something. Sure. How did you develop, did you help develop the technology for that product as far as the material was concerned? And if so, how did you? Kind of, how did you discover this? Was it all trial and error? Like, what what is that process like? So, um, the company you're referring to is actually Morena Group. Morena Group, yes, yes, and that's the company that I, I joined yeah. when I came here to Atlanta. And basically, it's called medical grade compression. Mm -hmm. It's a fabric that was worked on with the founder. Um, he w he was a and and his wife were. Olympian cyclist uh -huh. and he basically hurt his knee and the fabric was born out of a compression garment that that they created and the difference with compression is actually it uh, stimulates your lymphatic system mm -hmm. so you can have it in underwear for NASA astronauts to go out of this world you can have it in a breast cancer bra That's for a woman who's too, healing yeah. from surgery mm -hmm. and a lot of people do triathlons so you can wear compression grade fabric mm -hmm. that really helps you swim, run, bike, play, you know, much faster than your average mm -hmm. compression out there. Or so, like the socks that we were talking about. Like yes, we, socks. yes yeah. we were talking about um, your early <laughs> experience yeah. in the, in the compression, world. compression world. Yes, <laughs> yes. And it was, um, it was interesting because during that time, and I think this is what a lot of businesses are looking at right now, is what is your brand's story? And how can you tell it? Even after 25 years, which Marina had been around, it was purchased by private equity. And they wanted to you know, take it to the next level. So we really had a blast uh, going direct to consumer and kind of doing the omni-channel, but only in a medical format, mm -hmm. um, updating the B2B so we could have better relationships with hospitals and um, retail type uh, plastic surgery clinics, one yeah. called Sonabella. And then we also ended up uh, going direct to consumer creating millions of dollars in new business, which I was very proud to see during the pandemic. They came out with masks and uh, yes. garments to really help as many businesses have. So I think really setting up a business to be resilient, mm -hmm. no matter what the consumer needs are, to really pivot and be able to expand globally. Um, and had a, an amazing team there, really an amazing team. Well, you look like um, you lead with fortitude, and you you mentioned the word million, and I'm laughing because I was reading your bio earlier, and the amount of money that you make company is in the millions. You make millions for company. I think the reference that I saw was four to 40 million that you helped generate, and I was like, whoa. So I think it's safe to say that um, you have a knack for success. Something that you mentioned was what is your brand story? And I know that brand development, international, and so on and so forth is one of your um, fortes. What about your brand? In finding other people's brands and in helping them find their brands or their identity, how are you able to establish so clearly um, your brand and your path and your mission for Royat Consulting? 
It's a, it's a really good question. And I think it has a lot to do with, you know, who you are as a person and family values. You know, my husband and I years ago, actually, when we were living in Asia, we came up with our own family brand mission story. And maybe it all started back then uh-huh. about the kind of life we wanted to lead um, living overseas and having a young son. Um, and I think you just have to be authentic to who you are. And for me, it's kind of family first and giving back to the community and then building a business in an organization that represents what you're good at Mm -hmm. Um, and not be afraid to say when you um, have made a mistake and learn from your mistakes. Mm -hmm. So I would say that my my business is really about lessons learned and applying all the things I've learned over my career, whether it was the dot-com era when that busted or 2008 with the financial crisis and the crash, and then now with the pandemic is offering you know my experience and support it can be incubators which lately I've been quite involved with my university, Salisbury University, that does a Shark Tank-like competition and actually is a feeder group for Mm -hmm. Shark Tank. Um, And that has led me to think about collaborating locally um, with other consulting firms actually here in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. I think during the pandemic, we all stood back and said, you know, what are we going to do different? And that's kind of what I'm doing different. Mm -hmm. I've stepped out and there's a new incubator I've joined as a collaborative consultant. And we're doing something with Kaizen Analytics, which is kind of dynamic pricing, if you will. I think people are going to want to make sure you're making the most in your margins. So there's kind of a tactical example Mm -hmm. of some of the work I might do. And then strategically, really helping the authentic story. Like I went back and talked about the Morena Group and the fact that I think there was kind of buried in in the, the years of business, the fact that an Olympic cyclist actually was some of the motivation for the brand and that's a fantastic selling point it's and going back to to thinking about wow if you could take this this fabric to the moon why would you not um and sometimes uh founders and individuals who have been doing business for years they don't they don't they don't recognize the things that somebody from the outside coming in can offer so i'm hoping all businesses particularly entrepreneurs who are struggling now reach out if it's not me but others and and get a different perspective on your Mm -hmm. business and your brand story and being very authentic consumers are looking for products that give back to the community that are sustainable and you can't just do it um, as a last resort if you can build it as part of your purpose, your business, and your brand, um, those are the those are the questions and the things that I like to work on the story and the strategy. And then, what is the business model that's really going to drive that, and ensure that it's delivering the sustaining profits? I mean, it doesn't happen by accident that you get those millions of dollars. Right. And actually, you have to say no. You have to stop doing things. You have to look at your top. 20 best-selling products and kill your losers and it's so hard because everybody designs a product yeah. and they think they're all beautiful um, but I think I've had my teams have had the the, the courageous and, and being courage to say no we're not going to do any more of that and accentuate what you're good at a lot of people um, you know I've always been blessed with mentors who understand what I'm good at and what I'm not good at and then surrounding me and helping me find and build a team that was complementary and diverse Mm -hmm. and by doing that you find that you can sell more products because everybody sitting around your your meeting table um, has different minds and different perspectives and that's Mm -hmm. like gold dust to more money being developed in your products and services wow you said um, two things that really 
that uh, stood out to me, diverse in perspective. And I think that you share some of the same core values as one of our partners at McCarthy Building Companies. McCarthy Building Companies is a community-based general contractor specializing in healthcare, education, aviation, and commercial construction projects. They are committed to helping their clients achieve their short and long-term strategic goals. The McCarthy Partnership for Women believes that diverse perspectives drive better outcomes, and that's why they're thrilled to support this series. You mentioned here on um, some of our our sheets that we're going back and forth on, um, specifically diversity and perspective, and then also how that translates into what you do. You mentioned it with your teams and building teams. Talk a little bit about the importance of establishing a team where diversity exists in order to help better fuel all the things that you want to achieve. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's critical. Um, I've worked in brands, um, mostly women's brands, in the latter part of my career. And in the beginning part of my career, I was with Levi's and designing and developing, obviously, men's clothing. And when I think of fast forwarding to today, if you can have people who are, let's say, engineer and IT people, and they tend to listen very well. They may not be the talkers in the room like the sales and marketing personalities. Um, I actually live in a household with two, I hate to say, I don't mean I hate to say, but they're we're more introverted, my mm-hmm. husband and my son. And, um, you know, I've read books like, you know, A World That Won't Stop Talking because you really need people of different experiences. And what I find with those who take the time to listen um, and process information a little bit longer and different, you get um, very clear and concise um, findings. Mm -hmm. You will have different facts come out and they will see things that others don't. I'm very visual. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm very intuitive and I'm very spontaneous. I like to surround myself with people who are, you know, the opposite of what I am. Creating my own consulting company, you know, I need to kind of be right and left brain, which fortunately in all those tests, I get strength finder. (laughs) Uh, You take, we've all done things like that. ENFJ. Yes, yes, yes. So I'm an uh, extrovert, but it's really important that when, through the interview process, Mm -hmm. um, that you have a, a wide variety of people interview the team, um, that you recognize that today, um, the new generation coming out, there's different ways they communicate. Mm-hmm. Um, they may not be um, as grammar savvy with all the texting that goes and on. And abbreviations. And abbreviations, exactly. So I think it's really, it's really key to have a diverse age group. Um, race, ethnicity, r- religion, all of it. And I was just blessed to grow up in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. a very diverse area in a diverse neighborhood, have a global career where I lived in Asia and Europe, um, needing to understand different social norms, my son going Cultures. to a British school, a culture, um, understanding that for a birthday party in the Netherlands, you bring your own cake, they don't buy it for you. I mean, silly story. But anyway, there, there are just things that you need to understand, which has helped me bring it into the boardroom 
and even recently the nonprofit that I support, mm-hmm. we added eight new board members and we and a new executive director and had the opportunity to really look at the diversity. And um, you know, do we have legal counsel? Do we have strength in HR? What else do we need? Do we have business people who have big Fortune 500 experience? Do we have some people who have built their own businesses? Um, and to really make sure that we service the community at large, you need to have a diverse board and a diverse um, management team leading yes. it. We were fortunate. Um, our leader, Marilyn Pink, um, came from telehealth and uh, her, her previous company. So mm-hmm. during the pandemic, obviously, the breast cancer clinic and the rehab that we do at Turning Point had to close for a bit, but we were able to pivot quickly um, to online. You were just yes. saying you had a doctor's uh-huh. appointment uh-huh. online Zoom. recently. Uh-huh. Zoom. I, it's our world. So I think the diversity of people and personalities on your team really help lift your organization so that you can um, weather the storm, uh, like the pandemic one we've just had, having individuals who um, have years of experience and have gotten us through Mm 9-11 or whatever the the last disaster was, or God forbid the future will be, we need to ensure that um, the diversity makes us stronger as, as a group. Setting you up for success. Um, You mentioned several times, and I don't want to let the hour go by without elaborating a little bit. You participate and you give back in so many different ways and some things that are near and dear to your heart. I want you to expand a little bit about um, your Salisbury University Shark Tank. Love to. Um, And then also the turning point, because that's something that's very important. It's a breast cancer rehabilitation center. Yes. Okay. So tell our listeners just a little bit about that initiative. Sure. Sure. So Turning Point um, is about 16 years old, and it was founded by a physical therapist, uh, Jill Binkley, and she herself got breast cancer and found that she wasn't able to access all the services that she felt she needed and education um, in order to be strong for herself and her family. And uh, basically, Turning Point has grown into an organization that provides emotional counseling, nutritional counseling, WOW, Women on Wednesday Zoom, uh, workout exercises, Mm -hmm. um, educational forums, and really gives back to the community. We can see as many as 800 women a year um, and offer about 20% financial aid Mm -hmm. so that, that they can get back to the game of life. A mother who has breast cancer, a lo- uh, un- most of our patients, it's amazing, are under the age of 40. Women wow. are getting breast cancer younger and younger. Earlier, yeah. One in eight will get breast cancer. And in order not to have reoccurrence, it's been, and it's been shown with all cancers that exercise and diet can make survival rates and the outcomes much, much stronger. Mm-hmm. So uh, we have a, a big signature event called the Pink Affair where um, – we um, raise quite a bit of money and have a nice party. It'll be a virtual one this year. When is that? Um, it's uh, March 6th. Right. I hope okay. I have the date right. Um, and it's myturningpoint.org if uh-huh. anyone would Let's like to look. donate or, yeah. or learn more about it. But it's a wonderful uh, kind of backyard uh, born Atlanta organization that's now going national. Mm-hmm. 
We've attracted a lot of attention with telehealth and Zoom uh, during the pandemic, actually. So people from all over the country and even all over the world are starting to take notice of Turning wow. Point and the efforts that we've got there. That's so. exciting. And you know that that lends an interesting um, turn because previously it would have been held in person or hosted in person therefore limiting people by geography unless they were planning to you know travel in but now that it's online anybody can attend it's limitless that's right that's very exciting we had a um a social disparity conference where we had medical professionals come together and talk about the you know people of color and the rural communities and why they index higher for things like breast cancer and what we can do um, as a medical community to to shift the conversation and there'll be some future ones coming up um, in the new year as well congratulations to you and your efforts tell me how the bra ties in because I'm, i read that as well so the the fabric that you were talking about that um you know, is, is used for medical, you said something yes, with a Yes, there, there are many brands um, out there that make fabulous um, bras for breast cancer patients. Um, there's a company called Amona. They actually make the prosthetic that would go into the bra, and they wow. make breast cancer bras. Morena makes yes. breast cancer mm-hmm. bras, and that's kind of where I was um, previously. And yes, I had the opportunity to work on a patent, uh, patented bra that we did um, that basically had a drain bulb management on the side so that you can put the tube through it. Through it. I wow. mean, unless you've been through any you kind of know, surgery, yeah. you don't imagine what happens to the body when and can't sleep at night mm. they kind of have to sit up in a chair and this an- allowed the the woman to kind of turn over and roll over at night and move the strain bulb from one location to another part that's amazing her body may I ask and we didn't cover this pre-show um just I mean you're so personally involved in this mission did you have a family member that suffered from breast cancer well it's it's pretty ironic my my cousin uh Robin got got breast cancer and then throughout my last four years being associated with Turning Point several of my other cousins my best friend my childhood friend got it and even my mom at 80 got breast cancer um, last year yes so she even came to visit at the end of her treatment stayed with us during the pandemic so I've had a lot of first-hand um, experience right. with friends and family as many people have mm-hmm. and you understand um, what happens when there's a breakdown of the mother in the family because she can't do all those activities it impacts the work mm-hmm. it impacts the children it impacts her community activities her her ability to give back yeah yeah, and it's very, um, you know, it's intimate. It's yeah. very emotional experience. So um, I'm just delighted that an organization like Turning Point mm-hmm. um, can make a difference. Well, I can see that there is a lot of passion in the development of that. So I'm, I'm thankful that your genius brain was able to create something like that so that all the ladies that have suffered out there can find some relief in something as simple as a, a, an undergarment. Um, Shifting gears to the exciting Shark Tank uh, (laughs) endeavor that you have. I love Shark Tanks. I'm very familiar with the format. I'm very familiar with all the success that derives from it. So you mentioned that it was kind of a feeder. Um, expand yes. on that. So, so I went to school at, at Salisbury University. Where you graduated. <clears throat> where I graduated. The Purdue School of Business. Frank Purdue, you know, mm-hmm. the member of the check-in guy you see yeah. on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the Purdue School of Business um, sponsors what's called the Shore Hatchery. 
And it is a competition that is just like um, Shark Tank you see on TV. And over the years, Shark Tank has actually leveraged and used some of our participants and have ended up on the show. Wow. So basically, um, it's a pitch where we have a format and students from all over the Mid-Atlantic come and they have their ele- their one-minute elevator pitch. Um, they put their business plan together. And then the process is um, there are uh, funds, a quarter of a million dollars. Is this real money? Or oh, is yeah. This no, no. Wow. This is this is real money. Over, um, I would say, the last seven, seven years, there have been $2 million. From um, Mr. Purdue? Not fr- it's from actually um, the the Radcliffe Foundation, mm-hmm. which is a, a foundation. And you know, as I said in the beginning, you know, Capital C Collaborative. Yes, I read this that. This is then. a great. Mm-hmm. This is a great example of community, business, foundation, and school coming together to really incubate um, innovation and development on the Eastern Shore in Maryland. Wow. Um, a lot of people they're raised on the shore and then they leave. There is an initiative to get people to come back and live on the shore. I mean, it's a beautiful place. I actually have a place there in Fenwick um, Island where I go back. It's kind of my rubber band that snaps Mm -hmm. me back every summer. And I've been involved on the board of the school. And this competition, um, everything from retail to medical, Um, food products it's really been amazing and to see these young entrepreneurial minds and then the amazing community of business people and the hatchery board and the advisory board at Salisbury University the Purdue School they all participate Um, the last two have been zoom calls so Uh to see all of this happen online was pretty amazing. Um, Do they bring their products too, or yes. is it just the conception yes. and the plan? So they have product and everything. They've already developed it. The way it works, like a it's usually a, um, a hall room walking where, when they could set up their booths like you would at a trade show. So we try to give the students and um, the individuals the experience of what it would be like if they're pitching it at a trade show. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a mentoring program where I've mentored, and so if some of my associates many of these individuals through their process. One woman now um, was working on her FDA um, approval. There's another gentleman working on his product um, for FDA approval. I can't say it because some of of it. (laughs) (laughs) But it's exciting and to have conversations and follow up and they're so innovative and passionate about what they're doing. And in a time where, you know, dollars and funds are tight, we hear that 20% of nonprofits might not make it. Mm. A lot of entrepreneurs can't find the money that they did. So to give back to the communities, to make them stronger and better than before. It's um, a great investment. Yes, the, the whole community of Salisbury mm-hmm. has been transformed because of the people that I, I just mentioned in those organizations. Um, when I went to school there, you know, it wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot happening in Salisbury. We just stayed on campus. Mm-hmm. And now the whole place is humming. It's really, it's, it's very, very exciting. I bet it will be so awesome when you're sitting on your couch enjoying a cup of tea five years from now and you see on TV or you know of one of these youngsters that mm. you saw go through this program who are flying successfully because we're using their their invention or their creation every single day and you knew where it all started yes that will be exciting very very exciting I have to ask just because it's it's raining in my mind okay because you said Purdue and he's the chicken Vela and then it's called stone hatchery and hatchery like kind of like sure hatchery. sure excuse me like 
like eggs? Eggs, like yeah, eggs like hatching? checking. Okay. That's, that's the whole that's idea. That's what I was thinking. That's the okay. incubator idea. Yeah. Cute. Sure, hatchery. Well, again, you've participated and given back so many different ways. I think it's very important for a woman um, of your success and acumen to be able to reach back and help others. You mentioned mentorship, and you mentioned that you participate as a mentor. I might be giving you a call for some advice one day. (laughs) Who has been a mentor to you throughout your um, road to success or throughout a turbulent time? Who is somebody that has impacted you so greatly, aside from maybe your spouse or your parents? Somebody... um, that kind of helped mold you into the woman that you are today? Well, one of the first people that comes to mind is uh, Lindsey Webb, and uh, I've worked for him. Uh, He's the one that talked me into like moving to Asia and (laughs) changing my whole life and my whole world. Um, I will never forget George Porter, who was another great gentleman who uh, mentored and moved me from sales into merchandising and product development. But he said, you just have to go talk to Lindsay. Um, you don't have to take the job. They, they just, you know, they, they, your name came up, so you can't you know, disrespect them. You need to go take this interview. I'm like, okay, fine. So I talked to my husband about it. And he's like, yeah, it'd be cool. Let's go to New Zealand. And I thought, oh, I'm not going to New Zealand. No way. <laughs> so I went and I talked to him. The next thing I knew, I'm packing my bag and to on a plane. To New Zealand. So what, what in that mentor, um, somebody who was compassionate, who really cared about the individual. He always focused on accentuating the positive. We both knew what I needed help with and I wasn't good at, and he sponsored and made sure I got that help. And uh, in terms of really understanding, I mean, obviously I became a new mom under his leadership, so that was a real milestone for me personally. And I had never had such a senior role in an executive company, and then all of a sudden having a child at the same time. Juggling them both. Exactly, and and I traveled. Um, we set up a product development center in Japan. Um, we had a marketing uh, new, uh, we moved the Asia office from San Francisco to Singapore. So it was uh, a really interesting time. And and then I would say later in my life, other, other mentors um, at Liz Claiborne, people like Paul Sharon, he was CEO, and to watch how he really cultivated his women leadership we had I think we were the company with the most senior um, vice presidents and presidents who were women I mean we were making women's clothing so maybe that made sense Um, but he really ensured that um, there were classes and sending people to the Center for Creative Leadership and empowerment and a conversation on diversity and then when we brought in all of these new entrepreneurial brands these incubator type brands Mm -hmm. who were talking into the big mothership of Liz to really understand that you can't Lizify all of them you need to let them be on their own and that's a different kind of diversity Mm -hmm. Um, and then the business is very um, solid because you don't know what kind of clothing the consumer is going to want it's like your stock portfolio Mm -hmm. they wouldn't say oh invest all your money in technology no you want to have a little there exactly so I think in inside of an apparel company you want the same kind of diversity in consumer attitudes Mm -hmm. um and learning that and learning about the leadership and um, what happened during 9-11, being in New York City. And oh, just man. it was really scary. And we had 
international is market week and we had international customers in from around the world and the kind of courageous leadership that you know just steadfast and strong um i got to go home at the end of the day but Thank they really God, wanted yes. us to stay in the building and help manage the people and you know fight or flight mm -hmm. well your first instinct is oh i want to get out flight, of here yeah but you need to be resilient and hunker think about down. hunker down and phone calls were coming in from all over the world to our desk mm -hmm. where's my family where's so-and-so and all the phone systems had gone down yeah. so just a really interesting um very very fortunate and you know yes. you said don't say parents but my father yeah. has well, always been my of course my my yeah. unbelievable mentor and i think losing him years ago um i always feel i have a hole in my heart to mm. this day for that and maybe i'm trying to be as good a mentor to everybody Everybody else as Aww. he was to me I'm um, sure he's smiling down on you now I I would I would hope so he always he always said um, just make a decision you you think about it too much just ah. nothing to it just go do it you know because I'd be pros and cons I and do the same thing and lists make and he's list. like oh my gosh he was amazing he was a non-tech guy he'd always have one piece of paper in his money clip and it would say a million dollars this year or whatever his goal was and I'd go remember even as a child up mm -hmm. to his dresser to kind of take my lunch money mm -hmm. and he'd always have a message or two in his money clip and that was his way of his staying goal. focused yeah. and his goal in wow. his way <laughs> that's exciting i see a lot of those you know you mentioned some of the, the things that you learned throughout your mentors and i've noticed in conversation your leadership style translates a lot of those things so you've been able to kind of incorporate the things that impacted you and that you've learned um as people are looking to kind of surmount obstacles in order to achieve success. I mean, you have such a robust portfolio and we haven't even touched on your, your world travels or your, your spouse and motherhood. And we'll get to that in just a second. As far as remaining sane, juggling all the things that you have to do internationally, family-wise, now here in Gwinnett and Atlanta, what do you do to keep yourself balanced? Uh, it could be physically, just mentally. What do you do for Pat? What does Pat do in order to remain 100% for all the avenues that you have to give to daily? Depending on the season, <laughs> I love to swim in the summer and take long walks, um, you know, with the weather being the way it is now. But I think you have to take care of yourself first. And sometimes it's hard because you want to make sure, you know, my mom is doing okay. My son is a co recent college graduate. Finding a job during a pandemic wasn't easy. My husband decided after 25 years of staying at home, he was going to go back to work now that, you know, I had a, a career that was settled in a particular location. So I wanted to worry about all of them, but truthfully, I really have to look in the mirror. And by taking care of myself, my health, um, my mindset and to stay very positive but then recognize that sometimes you're going to have difficult days so I like to walk the talk and be that that role model um, read a book you know I'm always reading something um, I think uh, what was it called uh, Atomic Habits was one of the books uh, the newer ones I read uh, one of my favorite is one of the Jack Welsh books that's from years ago having lived in Fairfield County um, really admired um, some of the discipline and the reinvention of the company and the business and the business model. Um, these are the things that I'm trying to reinvent myself even, my consulting practice. Mm -hmm. So I'm reaching out and working with other um, groups. So it's not just 
Pat Royak. Right. Um, and I'm finding that what I, what's happening through that, this incubator idea has just really bubbled up mm -hmm. because there are a lot of companies who want uh, to be born. There's a lot of money out there actually in the private equity world, it's pent up. They want to invest in businesses. Hmm. And so by broadening my network, ensuring that I'm giving back, uh, involved with a wonderful organization here called Kettering, mm -hmm. uh, which are business executives where they sponsor um, a group called Year Up, and we've talked about mm -hmm. mentoring. Uh, they have educational courses for executives, C-suite, mm -hmm. people who have backgrounds similar to mine, mm -hmm. a group of men and women, very diverse. It's a nonprofit, and it was born out of people who were in job transition mm. and wanted to come together and kind of give back to the community. So when I think of how do I get myself ready for <laughs> the day mm -hmm. and living in the world we have today, it's really looking outward and ins ensuring that I'm growing and learning and reading um, and listening. Um, I have to say, I, I, I had to really pull back from being a news junkie like mm -hmm. all of us did yeah. with everything going on. Plague your mind. <laughs> yeah, and I found a remarkable shift and a healthier perspective um, with me pulling the information I needed to read and digest mm -hmm. rather just than allowing right. it to come at me, um, listening to great shows like yours. Yay, thank but you. But it, it broadens your mind, and you, and you think of, and, and, and you don't have to feel like you're the only person going through the things that we're going through. Right. It's it's not easy mm -hmm. uh, right now for business. Not at all. And I, I lived in New York for over, you know, two decades of my career of living and working, and it's heartbreaking what I see happening. Mm -hmm. My friends are texting, oh, I can't go out to dinner, I, I can't know, do this. Yeah. They're moving out, and so um, want to be part of the positive change mm -hmm. and exciting things happening. And Gwinnett County, wow. I mean, the amount of international business that's done right here in Gwinnett County with many businesses. Remarkable. It is uh, very, very exciting. And so. manufacturing as well. Manufacturing is coming hub, back yeah. to the U.S. Mm -hmm. with Aurora, and I'm thrilled to see mm -hmm. that. And the products, um, I was talking earlier about the company I was with, Marina, they're all ma manufactured in the United States. So um, I love seeing things like that. Yes, that's very exciting. Okay, so just to give our listeners a little bit of an idea, um, Pat is a, a world traveler for work and personal, I guess you could say as well. So she mentioned that she lived in New Zealand and Singapore, and you mentioned, or did you mention Netherlands? the Netherlands? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and New York and all over the United States. Out of all those places, what was your favorite cultural experience um, to live and to experience there for, um, you know, maybe the food and all, all the things? Because I'm thinking, I have no idea what it's not like in New Zealand, but Singapore, I think, would be very interesting. So give give a little bit of uh, an insight to where was your favorite place to reside and maybe one of the favorite things that you did there. What's well, it's, it's hard to just pick one, and I think I've talked a lot about New Zealand, and it's definitely my Camelot. But I would say being a new mom in Asia was extraordinarily wonderful. They love children in huh. Asia, and it doesn't matter where you were going, Singapore Airline or walking in a mall, uh, people would always come over and talk to you. Uh, the stewardess on the airline, they'd want to hold, hold our baby. son during the whole time and say, hey, why don't you guys go to sleep? There's something about um, celebrating children new life. Yeah. and new life that was very, very impressive there. Huh. 
I think being in the Netherlands, um, it was life-changing and transformational. I think for my son, he went to the British school there. Wow. And wow, what a great experience. And I watched him go from kind of a shy, quiet young man to, um, you know, a, a typical... He evolved. Yes, yeah. he de definitely evolved. And uh, I think my husband just loved riding his bike up on the hills. Mm. And it was just a wonderful family mm -hmm. opportunity to live life a little bit different um, than we did with my five o'clock in the morning up on that train into New York City for mm. 16 years, you know, two hours a day right. going in and coming out, but you do it. <laughs> and it was easier to have those family dinners around the table, which are important to us um, a couple times a week, mm -hmm. no matter what's going on. I'm sure with your schedule, it was pretty crazy. Yeah, have to have a lot of uh, a lot of structure. So, I mean, I guess I can't say there's just just one. one. Okay, but I did Wasn't enjoy a fair living question. in. I, I did enjoy living in Europe and being able to travel to different places. Mm -hmm. I think that probably I know you mentioned before the show your son's twenty five. Yes, in his 20s. yes. Um, I'm, I can imagine he's a very well rounded young man, having lived and experienced so many different cultures at such an early age. You know, we are very privilege I'll say it as Americans here and if you haven't had the chance to travel outside of our country I implore you to do so so you can see just how fortunate we are here in the United States not to say that it's bad everywhere else but it's just very different so I can only imagine how that is able to translate to the human that he is today or maybe in in the workplace and so on and so forth well it's funny you say that because um you know he was like a lot of kids uh, looking for that best job um and he ended up uh, identifying with a store a uh, retail store that actually is from germany uh Lidl. and he had remembered attending you know and, and shopping in that store when he was back in the netherlands which isn't something that would have necessarily been on my radar but um he's a marketer and he kind of pivoted to an interest in supply chain during this crazy time you can't find toilet paper and paper towels oh, he's God. like well wait a minute maybe i should they need help over here yeah. so he's you know he's pivoting like everybody um but seems to be enjoying it so i think I don't know if he didn't have that kind of experience, mm -hmm. if he would have been as open-minded to take a look right. at working for a non-American company. Mm -hmm. um, as a kid, you know, coming right out of school, it might not have been a first choice, right. so maybe something like that opened his mind. Mm -hmm. Very exciting. Um, well, I do, I do just want to say cheers to all of the things that you've accomplished. Um, before, as we were rounding the end of the show, is there anything that you would like to share specifically with our listeners um, that you want them to carry on with them beyond this conversation? And I don't, I don't mean to put you in the hot seat if you need a minute to think about it. No, that's fine. Um, I, I think it kind of gets back to where we started in the beginning that as we're all coming out of this pandemic, and I don't want to overly focus on it, that we do need to reach out and collaborate with others and reimagine the businesses we're in, uh, the way we spend our time, uh, even how we we celebrate our holidays coming up. And um, and really, I am a glass half full kind of person. I see that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's important to, to recognize that maybe not everybody is feeling that way or not all businesses are, and that we really take a look at 
even women-owned businesses. I think it's really been difficult for them. 20% of women, I don't know if I mentioned it yet, have left the workforce because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Women who have children under the age of two, about 40% have left the workforce. Mm -hmm. This is gonna take us back several decades. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really important that all of us, all everyone, not just women, mm -hmm. men and women, take care of our own self our health, we put off going to the doctors, um, maybe mental health issues that are gonna emerge from all of this. And just with a capital C, care more, uh, collaborate, and really give back to those businesses. 20% of the nonprofits may not be here, and they're the ones that dig into our communities and give back. Absolutely. So um, people, bank accounts are, are, are fuller now. A mm -hmm. lot of people have been saving money, those who haven't lost their jobs. So I think it's gonna be an interesting time. Um, and I encourage everybody to lean in during the holidays and um, give those gifts. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and go shopping. And go shopping. <laughs> Um, I did just want to say that, you know, you're, you said that you're new here kind of to Gwinnett, but not really. And I know that you mentioned networking and the power of, you know, your network and expanding so on and so forth. What types of networking groups outside of the ones that are geared towards your industry, just maybe for the professionals out there in this area, would you recommend participating in or do you participate in? You mentioned the chamber and I am one of the biggest advocates for mm -hmm. our great Gwinnett Chamber of Commerce. They yes, provide so fabulous. many resources. Um, what other groups would you suggest? that someone get involved in or what other types of groups are you like in rotary do you do business sure, alliances sure. where where would someone maybe find some fruit in networking well i mentioned kettering and that is a kind of c-suite focused organization of executives um, and continuing education and giving back i think it's fantastic um, there's the American Association of Footwear and Apparel, um, which you know is based in New York. It's an organization that um, really helps deal with issues such as the supply chain, which has been so challenging yes, during gosh, during yes. this time period. Um, Next Generation Manufacturing, which yes. is how I met Lisa, mm -hmm. um, is a group of women-led manufacturing companies here in Georgia. Um, there are also General Manufacturing, Regina Maddox runs um, that group and does a terrific job holding seminars and online tours. Um, Ooh, it's been fantastic. Yes, they did a tour of Starbucks facility and others. Um, so I think that's a great organization to know. There's always the uh, Association of Marketing uh, Professionals. Ooh. And I agree that uh, the American Chamber of Commerce is is a fabulous organization. As a matter of fact, my husband worked for say, them yes. in New Zealand uh, and was uh, part of the membership. I'll have to check that. I've never heard of the American too. Chamber of Commerce. I'll have to give that a Google. Yeah. Well, thank you for um, giving, I, as you see, I've taken lots of notes. I can't wait to do a, a little bit of research myself. I do just want to give another shout out to Lisa Winton for connecting us. Yes. What a wonderful um, and delightful conversation that we've had. And again, to Terry, who makes this series possible. Um, one of the nonprofits that are near and dear to Terry's heart is called Cat Rangers. Mm -hmm. And here's a little info on Cat Rangers. Cat Rangers is saving lives of cats and kittens one paw at a time. They are the special forces of cat rescue, and all of their felines recover in their lovely home-like center in Buford while they wait to find their forever homes. Cat Rangers is growing rapidly and is always seeking financial and volunteer support. Please contribute by visiting catrangers.org today. 
So I know that I asked you before the show if you had any animals and you mentioned that you had a dog. I'm also a dog person. But if ever you just want to visit a little cat without having to take it home, you can go to Cat Rangers in Buford and just hang out with the kitties. (laughs) I always have to plug that because Terry loves the cats. So before we say bye-bye, Pat, is there anything else that you'd like to leave our audience with or me personally as we've had this wonderful conversation? I wish you the very best for the holidays. I know it's going to be exciting and different, but I hope that you have a good time with your family. And the floor is yours. Well, I would just say that what I see happening in the in the future, really, in the, the fashion apparel industry and consumer world is businesses are really going to have to take care of their employees in new and different ways um, and giving back whether it's sustainable products or um, socially responsible I think people our perspective needs to really change and I think we need to collaborate and consider reimagining our products a little bit differently in order to really connect with those consumers who Mm -hmm. are probably more open-minded now than ever ever before. before so you really need to go back and check your brand stories your strategies and how you're going to communicate across that whole omni channel of of different vehicles that consumers are using mobile desktop or in in store or other i love the word omni channel now i do want to just give you the chance if anybody wanted to learn more about Royat Consulting or possibly get in touch with you to have a conversation or buy you a coffee <laughs> is there any way that anybody can find that out best way to find me is on LinkedIn at Patricia J. Royak. um uh, and she has a really really sweet profile guys <laughs> go and check it out although I'm not gonna lie my request is still pending, Pat. Oh, my goodness. Tell your virtual assistant to accept that for I me. I will do that. You know, I have a sister-in-law with the same name, so that is a fun fact. You know what? That might that's be her. That's what it is. Because so, I was like, why does Royak she have blonde group. hair? Yeah, it's the Royat group. Um, and it's her yes. that I found. So I don't mind giving my sister-in-law's Perfect. business a no. plug either. She's technology. <laughs> high tech, high touch. Well, then I need to find you because I'm when that's I was looking happened. before, it I was like, all the time. why hasn't she accepted me yet? And I was like, why is her hair blonde? But it's so nice and red when I see you in person. <laughs> and for those of you that don't, that can't oh, so see funny. Pat, she's so beautiful. And she mentioned her heritage being Italian and Irish. <laughs> and she is super sassy with the red hair and just wonderful and enjoyable to be with. So on that note, I've given a visual to our listeners. Pat, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. I can't wait to continue this conversation sometime and pick your brain about manufacturing. Until then, to all of our listeners, if this was your first time, thank you for joining us. If you're returning, thank you for subscribing. And remember that you can listen to all of our broadcasts every Friday at 11 a.m. We are live. Check out businessradiox.com so you can see our archived episodes. We are online 24-7. You can find us on iTunes, iHeartRadio, etc. Connect with us on social media at Gwinnett Radio X. And until next time, I am Amanda Pierch, and this has been Celebrating Powerhouse Women on Business Radio X.